Hello and welcome to this week's show of Personified. This week we're going to be covering the Yuki Onna, or Snow Woman, versus the Snow Queen in the West. We'll also be covering a few odd and interesting things about Japanese culture in a segment I like to call Oh Japan. So join me. It's an East meets West style mashup when all things nerdy become personified. Let's start with the more exotic tale, and we'll start with the Yuki Onna. Now, some of you that might have watched my video from YouTube, I covered a little bit about who she is, but I thought I'd kind of venture off into that since we're heading into the winter season, the cold, snowy months, or if you're from the south, rain and ice. The Yuki Onna was um, a legend that's dated back quite a few years ago, I think around the 16th century. She always appears on snowy nights. Uh, she's a tall, beautiful woman with long black hair, pale white skin, and blue lips. In some of the original versions, uh, she was actually depicted with white hair instead of black hair. And that first known appearance was actually... Um, in something called the Sogi Shokoku Monogatari, which is uh, translated means Sogi's Tales of Many Lands. She's described as having white hair that matches the rest of her quote-unquote bone-white appearance. Other stories kind of confuse the Yuki Onna with Yurei, which if you're familiar with Japanese culture, a Yurei is a spirit, usually a vengeful spirit or someone that dies prematurely. She, you know, normally is a beautiful woman. There's a few different tales, but one of the ones that usually sticks out the most was written by Lafcadio Hearn, which, no, he was not born in Japan. I know uh, people always find this odd, but his tale is the most known one, which is actually used in popular culture. If you've ever watched some of the old shows from the 1990s, like uh, I believe it was called Tales from the Dark Side, there was a story about a woman that was a gargoyle, and uh, she she her first encounter with the man is, oh, you know, I'm going to kill you if you ever tell anybody about this encounter. Well, that tale was actually based off of Lafcardios, and in his version, there was two woodcutters, uh, Minokichi and Mosaku. And uh, Minokichi was young, and Mosaku was very old. So one day they were out walking, uh, and they couldn't come back home because of a snowstorm. Um, they found a little uh, hut or, you know, area in the mountain and decided to sleep there. Well, the Yuki Onna came across both of them, and she breathed her icy breath on uh, old Mosaku and killed him by freezing him to death. Here's the funny part. So she approaches uh, Minokichi to breathe on him, but she notices his beauty. And because he's so beautiful, she just decides to let him live. So she tells him, I was going to kill you, but since you're so young and beautiful, I'll let you live. Well, several years later, uh, Minokichi met a beautiful young woman, and her name is Oyuki. Hmm. O, honorable, Yuki, snow. Hmm, that should have been a hint. But whatever, they got married. And she was a good wife, you know, as far as good wives were entailed from back in the day. And, of course, they have children. I don't know how they have children. 
Because obviously if she's some kind of snow spirit or something to that regard, I don't even know how this is possible, but whatever, details. They had kids. And they lived happily for many years. Until one night, after the children were asleep, Minokichi decides to tell Oyuki that whenever he sees her, she reminds him of a spirit that attacked and killed his former friend. To which she responds, That woman you met was me. I told you that I would kill you if you ever told anyone about that incident. But, well, he was saved by the grace of his own children. So instead of killing him, she says, I'll spare you because we have kids. And uh, she melts away and disappears. And no one ever sees her again. Well, he's stuck with the snow kids. They never tell you what happens afterwards, but I guess they all lived happily ever after. So that was the most popularized version. Typically, most Yuki Onna are uh, popular in more northern Japan. So uh, one of the most popularized areas, not surprisingly, is going to be Tohaku and to the north. Uh, Apparently, they appear mostly from Aomori, Iwate, Miyagi, and Yamagata. Uh, You can also hear hear tales of them from uh, Nagano and Niigata. But apparently, they're not restricted to those areas, so... You know, if you're looking around, you're in some snowier areas of Japan, you just might spot a uh, Yukiona. Apparently, another interesting thing is they stay eternally youthful and beautiful. So often um, they do marry these guys that, you know, don't suspect a thing. And after a few years, the guys start asking, hey, how come you never age? <laughs> it's, it's like, uh, why would you ask that? I mean... If she's pretty all the time, what does it matter? Got a good-looking wife. Deal with it, bro. So apparently they even have certain things, like um, in Aomori and Iwate, in those prefectures, uh, Yuki-onna appear during Koshogatsu, which means uh, Little New Year's or Small New Year's. And it kind of, it takes place in January, um, which is around the 15th, which is when New Year's ends, since it's like a two-week affair. In Japan, and it's the end of the New Year's festivities. Uh, there's actually a, a prefecture in Aomori called the Nishatsugaru district, and apparently, there they're even more specific about the Yuki Onna, and they claim that she arrives on New Year's Day and leaves on the 1st of February. So they're like super specific about that. I have no idea why. It's kind of interesting. Have to ask the guy that started it, I guess. The link between these dates is pretty obscure. Uh, most people think in ancient times the Yuki Onna was worshipped as a uh, Toshigami, which is, if you're familiar with deities um, in Japanese culture, they appear on special days and they can bring either good or bad fortune for the coming year. So it's, it's interesting because the, the link with February kind of corresponds with the Gaelic festival of uh, Imbolc, I think is how you pronounce it. I could be mispronouncing it, but something like that. So <laughs> maybe, who knows, uh, instead of what we have in the U.S. where we, you know, have the little 
groundhog that tells us if we're going to have more winter or something. Maybe that's Aomori's version or Japan's version. Like, oh, if things are going to be awesome or really suck for that year. And then there's other versions that say that the Yuki Onna only appears during full moons with new fallen snow. Has to be new. That's important. I'm not sure why. It just is. Um, mothers in Ehime Prefecture in Japan are warned not to let their children out to play on these nights. Others say they arrive and disappear with blizzards, so who knows, maybe they believe that could be part of the cause or they're just more powerful in the blizzards. Or some say that Yuki Ona appear on the cusp of spring. Maybe it's just to say farewell to all the coldness and the loveliness. Get that fucking spring in order, I guess. You can find many things over the Yukiona, um, most notably usually in uh, stories, manga, um, television shows, even some Americanized television shows have her present. Some different prefectures in Japan have different stories, like one, for instance, actually ties her to the moon. They call her the Yukiona, the moon princess. <laughs> no, not really, but that's kind of what I gathered from it. Um, from Yamagata Prefecture, the Yuki Ona was once a princess of the lunar world and lived on the moon. She was full of luxuries, she was indulged, she was spoiled, and extremely bored. She came kind of fascinated, or became fascinated rather, with the earth, and so she snuck out and fell down to earth. She traveled on the snow, apparently, but coming down was easier than going back up, and so she was stuck here. Even stranger ones go on to say that the Yuki Onna is a snow vampire who likes to suck the essence out from her victims, or blood even. They believe that the Yuki Onna is a terrible yokai that haunts the snowy forests and she's only looking to feed. Uh, she needs the vital energy of the human blood, or body, otherwise known as seiki, and she freezes her victims to death and then consumes their souls through their mouths. This type of yuki onna, because there are different types, um, is really, really bad in Niigata, uh, where it said she prefers the seiki, of children. Ooh, parents' tales. And then last but not least, there is the vengeful version of her. Now, obviously, there's many other versions, and I encourage you to go out and read all of them. Some of them are really spooky to kind of read, especially this time of year. The snow is going to be falling again if you're in the north. Uh, we live in Texas, so, you know, maybe one day. But, um, you know, this account of the Yuki Ona, she's not a spirit of snow, but she's actually the ghost of a woman seeking revenge. This actually mainly comes out of the uh, Chikamatsu, I think it's Chikamatsu Monzaemons. Uh, it's kind of a tongue twister there, but uh, he's, it's a puppet play. And the puppet play is Yuki Ona Gomai Hakoita or the five battle doors of the Yuki Onna. So in this play, it's the ghost of a woman who's deceived, led into the forest, and murdered. 
and she manifests herself as the Yuki Onna, attacks and kills everyone to get her revenge. So that's just a little bit about the Yuki Onna. Uh, you could read up much more on her. They, they've got a pretty detailed list on Wikipedia. Look that up. There's tons of stories. You can see her in popular culture. Um, she was in Japanese films like uh, Kaidan uh, Yokijoru, uh, which is a 1968 Japanese film based on the legend. You can see her in Tales from the Dark Side. Uh, she was actually appeared in the movie, so it was the movie which came out in, I believe, 1990. Uh, it was an American horror anthology that used to come on as a TV series, and there was also the movie. So if you want to watch that, that was pretty much based off of her. She's also in Takashi Miike's uh, The Great Yokai War. I think that came out in 2005. Uh, in, t in TV, if you ever saw um, Card Captors or Card Captors Sakura in the States, there was a snow card based off of her. Um, she was in Inuyasha, <laughs> so I think it was uh, it was one of the later episodes, much later. You could even see her in Powerpuff Girls Z. So the Yuki Onna. Let's move on to the Westernized version of our snow deity and um you know might know her as the lady of winter the snow queen but uh the story goes that there is an evil troll in the sky with a mirror and uh this mirror is broken apart as the uh, angels have discovered this mirror that this evil troll has and they try to ascend to heaven with it well the mirror just shakes with laughter and falls apart into billions of pieces falling to earth. And each one of these evil bits of mirrors falls into the hearts and the eyes of everyone on earth. When that happens, um, enter our two main characters. We have uh, Gerda and Kay. Kay is the little boy. Gerda is the girl. And the little boy gets a bit, he's outside playing, and he gets a bit of the mirror in his eye. And his heart becomes, and a little bit in his heart as well, his heart becomes cold. And he begins acting out against his grandmother and against his next-door neighbor and friend, Gerda. And so the story goes that he one day is out playing with the boys after destroying, you know, their friendship garden or whatever they made together, him and Gerda. And back then, it was really cool for kids to uh, hitch a ride on the back of sleds. And he found, you know, the Snow Queen comes into town. She's all mysterious and white and beautiful. And she has her reindeer pulling her sled around. And so he hitches a ride on the back. And he flies out with her. He, you know, she takes him away. He climbs into the sled with her. And she gives him her magical kiss. And her magical kiss... Uh, first makes him immune to the cold, and then the second one uh, makes his heart cold. If she kisses him a third time as the tale goes, it would kill him. So she doesn't. She takes him all the way out to her castle, and where she's no longer lonely, she has this young boy, presumably as a uh, mother figure, but much more evil and nefarious. And um, he sits on the ground she gives him these puzzles to work on and she says if you can spell out the word love 
with these, I'll let you go. But given that his heart is closed and frozen, poor Kay, he sits and tries to put these puzzle pieces together in vain. Well, Gerda, uh, being sweet and honest and blah, 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 whatever, boring Mary Sue, uh, decides she's going to set out and try to save Kay. And so she sets out, she goes across the land, she runs into a crow that tells her, oh, he's with, you know, the, the Snow Queen and whatever. And uh, that, that's actually legit part of the story. She's with the Snow Queen and whatever. She travels all along. She meets, you know, a band of gypsies or thieves. She meets a uh, reindeer who helps her as well. And uh, she finally gets all the way out there to him. Obviously, I'm shortening this story by tenfold. And she gets out there, meets him, and is able to cry into his eye and his heart and shake the icy core. And so he's able to get up. He spells out the word eternity, apparently, with the, the little snow puzzle. So therefore, he would get to leave anyway. He's free of the Ice Queen's clutches. And they skip home to discover that they're adults and they love each other. And I guess they get married and live happily ever after. That's Hans Christian Andersen for you. He was, you know, more of, um, I guess, more of a Christian writer, which, you know, sounds fitting given that his last name was, you know, Christian Andersen. The fascinating thing about this tale is that both him and C.S. Lewis actually derived their story from the Norse goddess, Skadi. And so what a lot of people theorize is that they wanted her to seem evil and extremely so. But in the actual uh, mythology, in the Norse mythology, she wasn't that at all. She was basically a deity that was of the hunt, snow, skiing, um, that sort of thing. Uh, These are attributes that are most mentioned usually because she lives in the highest reaches of the mountains. She was basically once married to the god Njord. And the interesting story with that is that apparently her father passed away in a way that wasn't cool with Skadi. What she basically did was went right up to uh, Odin and she said, Hey, Odin, that ain't cool how my dad died. Odin's like... I'll pay you some money. She's like, haha, bitch, no. Um, I want a man. And so basically he lined up these Norse gods and she had to pick from their feet because apparently feet were beautiful, bare, open feet and symbols of fertility in Norse mythology. Who would have thought? Feet. So the goddess with a foot fetish decided... I'm going to marry that dude with the really pretty feet. Well, apparently she married a guy named Njord, and it was a complete and total failure. Njord was a god of the sea and the beach. It was really noisy, kind of warm, and Skadi really wasn't fond of that. And Njord really wasn't fond of all the frigid cold, so they split their paths and went peace and went on about their lives. If you'd like to kind of check her out in literature or just other stories, uh, you'd want to visit or read the Prose Edda. Uh, Skadi is listed in two books, and I'm probably going to butcher these to death, but uh, you can 
catch my meaning, I guess. There's the Gilfaginning. That's a word. Goodness. Then there's a Skaldskaparmal. So there you go. You're going to have to look those up. If you just look up Skadi in, uh, you know, any, anything online or about the Norse mythology and the goddess, um, you can find her in those books. And uh, read up a little bit more on her, but she's pretty interesting. Um, in C.S. Lewis's version and whatnot, she's seen as the white witch or, you know, the witch that basically everything she touches dies and she's evil and horrible. In the Snow Queen, she's equally just horrific and just wants to destroy everything that she touches. But interestingly enough, what she's based off of is something far more positive and actually kind of fun. Uh, she's just, you know, part of winter. She hunts, she skis, she hangs out. She got a divorce. So I guess divorce was a thing then. But uh, it seems like a pretty neat deity. So what are some similarities between the two? Mm, the only similarities seem to be that with the winter come both of the women. They're of the other world. Some say that the Yuki Ona or Yure or the vengeful spirit. Some say she's a yokai, which is just a spirit that exists in the other realm. And some say she's a vampire. Who knows? They both are pale and have um, a thing with not being happy with uh, the men in their lives. <laughs> There's also seems to be a, a lot of, uh, it, when you look at a lot of mythology, you also tend to see, or really spirit stories or anything, especially in Japan, it's like they have this phobia about beautiful women. And every story, especially back in you know the, the early centuries, even even as late as like the uh, I want to say like the Meiji era, which was in the late 1800s, they had stories that were just phobic of watch out for beautiful women because they will like murder you and kill you and steal your soul and it's like man maybe they were just really bad at dating maybe just all women according to mythology are succubuses they're both kind of fascinating and fun to read so check them out in this next segment i like to call it oh japan and i like to find some really bizarre um, cultural facts and interesting things that just as Westerners, we go, what? You know, in the last one, we talked about Yaeba, which was like the snaggletooth fetish. And some bizarre reason they find attractive over there. Consumerism is just a thing. And I remember when I was walking around, when I was in Akihabara, um, you could literally find Hello Kitty and... Just, just Hello Kitty, the sheer amount of coffee shops I found over there was ridiculous. It was like around every corner and Starbucks was like crazy. Like if you didn't get there at a certain time before work, you just were not going to get coffee. You just had to jump on the train. And it like really bizarre thing about Japan is they import like 85% of Jamaica's annual coffee production 85% that is insane like they really love coffee there and of course they love Starbucks since Starbucks came in and my friend was telling me about that how it, sometimes it would be an hour to two hour wait just to, to sit there in line and the line would like wrap out on the street in Tokyo so it was crazy here's another bizarre fact 
Um, Japan apparently is the number one importer of reggae. I am not joking. Reggae. Like, alright, cool. I guess, you know, if that's your thing, go for it. But who would have thought Japan, of all places, would have something like that? Here's another interesting thing I noticed that made me wildly uncomfortable when I was there. I noticed, you know, as, as, a, as a Westerner, we go into restaurants and we sit down and we're pretty lucky if the waiter or waitress is nice enough to be attentive to pour our you know, drinks, our water, get our food out on time. We're not waiting a half an hour just to get it. In Japan, I was followed. And I remember, like, I, I went into a restaurant and I was followed all the way to the door. They bowed when I left and said thank you. And I thought, maybe it's just because I'm a Westerner? I don't know. So then I went to a store and I was shopping around in the store and the cashier was following me after I'd, like, checked out. And they will actually follow you outside bow and offer you cookies and tea. It was the most bizarre thing ever. And so I just remember kind of nervously panicking and, and waving my hand like, no, 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 that's that's okay. Like, thanks, but I don't want your weird offer cookies. And I just kind of left. And you know, things like that just fascinate me as a Westerner because places that we're at that I've normally gone to in a store, they're ready to just get you out. They want to check you out. They want to ring you up. They don't really want to make small talk. Just get out. No, there it's like customer service to the extreme. And it was so bizarre to me to experience that. And uh, another thing was, <laughs> one of the most bizarre things uh, that I experienced was um, going into these buildings when I was in Akihabara. And I'm looking around. I could not, for the life of me, find a damn trash can. I had this huge thing of trash. I'm sitting on my side and I'm searching everywhere. And I'm asking people in Japanese where their trash cans are. And they're just looking at me with these, like, you know, arched brows, like, what the hell are you talking about? Kind of looks, you dumb bitch. And, and I'm just, you know, running around this entire city. So I'm going all through, you know, the electronics district. And I finally get to the trains. And I'm looking around, and finally I see these three bins. One of them I can see is like, okay, that's a recycle bin. So that's probably like, I don't know, plastics or something like that. Then there's one that looks like it might be a can one because it's like, you know, a little small slot. And then there's this mysterious third one that has some symbol that I can't make out. And so I'm asking these people, I'm like, which one? I'm like holding this bag and they're just looking at me, shaking their heads like, what the fuck is this girl talking about? And just continually walking past me. So I made my best guess <laughs> to whatever the three bins were and just shoved my trash in there. I was so tired of carrying this around that I was like, forget this. I'm going to dump this and I'm going to go. Maybe somebody else can fix it. They're bound to pick up trash at some point. But it was just the most bizarre thing I'd ever experienced when I was over there because I was like, how can you make it all the way around a city and not have a damn trash can? Like here, you could literally pull up to some lights and there's, you know, a bin for trash. There's trash bins when you leave restaurants afterwards. It was just 
it was odd, you know? Another thing is um, uh, the Kit Kat bars. And a lot of people know this. Um, my favorite's the matcha, which is the uh, green tea flavored one. But you can get everywhere from sweet potato to cherry blossom flavored, which I still haven't tried that. I'm kind of, kind of curious about that. But some of the more bizarre ones are like apple vinegar. Like that is that's just so weird. Like who would think I want to eat an apple vinegar flavored Kit Kat. Gross. One of the things that I noticed uh, when I went over there, um, I am a huge fan of salt and that's probably because I grew up with more salt in my diet. I go over to Japan and the first thing that I noticed was that I should have brought salt with me. Everything tasted, especially stuff with cheese in it, like it just was missing salt. And a lot of foreigners I've talked to, even just Japan aside, I, I've been to you know Amsterdam, Germany, uh, those those sort of places. I would notice that the food just was to me it tasted bland. And then I realized as I started eating it more that it was a more balanced flavor, but I was still really really missing that salt. So when I went through the city on my final days. Um, I, I will admit, the first place I went when I was coming back, um, knowing that I was, I was, you know, going to be there at least another day or two before leaving the major city, I had to stop by McDonald's because, and it sounds stupid, it's like McDonald's in Japan, but it was awesome because they actually salted things like I was used to. So I'm sitting there like a freaking crack fiend opening this burger and like on the corner outside just devouring it in front of these people. <laughs> like to polite society Japan, like you, you don't you don't just do that. You don't just like walk outside and like start freaking cramming burger in your mouth and you know moaning like some kind of freaking crack whore or something. But it, it was it was just hilarious. There are your odd and bizarre Japanese facts. So join me next time for Personify. Bye guys. <laughs>